The gift was a bit of a surprise for book readers, wasn't it? We were very fooled. It didn't turn out to apply to what we thought it would. It had nothing to do with the area south of the Night's Watch, referred to as the gift and the new gift. And it certainly had nothing to do with Aria, which was the biggest surprise of all. We were expecting it to have something to do with the Mercy plotline, or at least to do with Aria in some way. The gift of Mercy is a term we've all heard many times, and we certainly apply that to Aria, perhaps first among all other possibilities, and there are other options, as we said. So it looks like Mara Trant gets to live on, for now. Welcome again to another episode of History of Westeros Podcast, the podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. And nowhere do we combine the two more than in our book-to-show reviews. Welcome back, Radio Westeros folks. Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy, it's good to have you both back. And I know scheduling is sometimes difficult, and we got to get these episodes out quickly to respond to the TV show and the TV show viewers. So I'm glad we could have both of you here today. I'm really glad to be on again. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Great, great. Well, unfortunately, we don't have a Shay today. She is still watching the show and will respond to comments and such. She she doesn't hate the show, nothing like that. But she is a little burned out on talking about it, and I don't blame her. There's a lot to talk about. We can't all be as glowingly positive as I see, sometimes am. <laughs> I, I'm almost on the board. I think I, I haven't been called a show apologist, but I might be getting close to that <laughs> at this point. But I do criticize plenty of things. I think, that's, uh, I think that's only fair. There is plenty to praise and plenty to criticize. We'll do that as we always do. And Ashea will be in our The Winds of Winter spoiler chapter analysis, which is already out by the time you're seeing this. So take a look out for that if you're interested in seeing where a certain uh, young Stark daughter is outside of her much tougher show environment. There were also fewer parallels in this episode than in previous episodes, at least as far as we could tell. We certainly looked and did our usual amount of digging, and there were plenty of sneaky hints and some nods rather than direct parallels, and we'll point out those. And this is something we should expect as the show continues to move forward. As we, we've all known this for a long time, the show is diverging. The more it goes on, the more it diverges. And some people will hate to hear this, but I, I fear to say that we haven't seen the largest divergences yet. The biggest are yet to come. So as we go forward, there will be fewer connections to make, but there'll always be some. There'll always be important things, and there'll always be things to look for and talk about, even if it's less to connect the books to show as it used to be. So a quick overview for what to expect in this episode. We're going to discuss all the locations as always, but there's going to be some differences because we've got some additional news. So after we talk about the Wall and the North and Marine and King's Landing and go through our watching or questions, of which we have an extra-sized array this time... We're going to do our worries of the week as well. We're going to talk about who's in danger of for their lives as well as maybe who is less in danger for their lives. We're also going to talk about the trailer for the next episode, for episode 8. But the biggest new feature we're going to have is we're going to discuss some casting news. Thanks to Watchers on the Wall, we got some big news on casting for season 6. So because some people don't want to know that because it implies spoilers... We're going to have that at the very end, after the trailer discussion. And, of course, the trailer discussion will be after the credits. So if you don't want to get spoiled on the trailers or the Season 6 casting news, simply listen to the credits and drop off after that. From a high-level view, 
Of course, this episode was called The Gift. As we said, it was a surprise as to what the gifts were, but there were several things you could one could consider a gift, I suppose. Uh, Tyrion, of course, named himself a gift, so that's an obvious one. Lancel was kind of a gift, in a sense, for assuming that's who Littlefinger was talking about when he was offering a handsome young man to Olena. If it's not Lancel which is a distinct possibility. We'll, we'll be talking about that later in the episode. Of course, we also have the antidote gifted to Bronn. He also got an eyeful, I suppose. That's a sense of, that's a gift in a sense. <laughs> uh, Reek kind of gave a dark gift to his master by revealing Sansa's candle plot. I bet some people didn't consider that a gift, but I guess in a sense it was. And Ramsay kind of gifted Sansa the woman, in a sense. Another even darker sense of the word gifting. He gave her a flayed woman. And But Cersei's arrest at the end of the episode is a bit of a gift to viewers who have been wanting her to get justice for a long time. And in another sense, she sort of gifted herself to the High Sparrow the way she opened herself up to these things. We, t- we tend to talk about themes in our show-only episode, so we won't be repetitive and talk about that here, but I will at least list what we thought of as themes in that regard. Captivity, helplessness, being trapped by choices, sexuality, and winter. Now, Lady Gwen or Unyoke Boy, did you guys have any other themes that you caught for this episode, or does that pretty much capture it? Yeah, that does, yeah. I think that does for me. All right, then. Let's get started. We have a lot to cover, so let's head on to the wall. We'll start with John and Tormund and Alistair and Ollie. We kind of get the hint that everyone hates John's plan. Not really a hint, more of a reminder that pretty much nobody is on his side except the possibility of Tormund and some of the wildlings. And John says, as always, I thank you for your honesty when when uh, Sir Alistair tells him what a horrible idea this is. And it's kind of a rigid exchange there. <laughs> Lady Gwen, what did you think about Alistair being left behind at the wall? That's a bit different, isn't it? Yeah, I thought that was a little curious. You know, in the books, John sends him on a ranging and he is the first ranger. So um, it just made me wonder, especially given the dialogue that he has um, with John. John, um, if he's being set up to play the Bowen role in the stabbing, because obviously Bowen doesn't seem to have much of a role in the show, even though he's there as a character. Yeah, he exists, but it would be, unless he's one of the participants, it would be odd for him to be the solo or the leader of that effort. Now, we also have Sam and Gilly and Eamon, and again, Alistair casts his shadow over this scene. We looked for... Of course, Eamon's death was very sad. We look for some comparisons to his death scene in the books. There, this, this parallels are mostly on the surface. There's the mention of Egg, and Lady Gwen, you had some thoughts on this scene as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we more or less called this in a previous discussion that it was going to happen with Sam and Gilly after John left. Um, but I was a little disappointed that there wasn't more to this scene in terms of Eamon's memories and the history that he sort of rambled about as he was sort of delirious. Um, Those things are slanted to the prince that was promised, so it's probably understandable. Um, 
but at least we got I dreamed I was old. Yeah, I almost am glad it wasn't two more. Like I, I also wanted more, but it was so sad. I was misting up a bit, so it was kind of a. It was also a bit of relief. Like okay, well, at least we don't have to get really sad. So I could. I was happy either way, I guess, <laughs> or sad either way, right. depending on how you want to put it. Right. Right. Now our good buddy Brendan Beefish, aka Jeff Hartline of the Wars and Politics of A Song of Ice and Fire blog. Wants to know, wanted us to discuss whether the mention of Egg here is a possible hint at HBO doing the Dunkin' Egg novellas. Well, that's a good question, and it's also just a good point to raise regardless of whether it reflects on that possibility at all. Because I imagine some of you are not aware that HBO actually optioned the rights to Dunkin' Egg. Optioning is not something to get terribly excited about. It's a very common process in Hollywood where HBO or another studio wants to hold on to the rights. They don't want anyone else to get on a hand of it. So they pay kind of a small amount to be able to keep the rights and to keep, to keep from anyone else from being able to do it. So HBO has the rights to it, but that doesn't mean they're going to do anything with it. I'd say it's more likely they do something like Robert's Rebellion or a different kind of prequel that involves characters more directly related to the show. But Dunkin' Egg is certainly up there as a possibility. And so I wouldn't say it makes it more likely, but or that it's a hint, rather. But I would think that, but it definitely gives me optimism and it makes me hopeful. And I do think it's possible. I think this, the overall success of Game of Thrones on HBO is, is massive. And they're definitely going to want to do more in this world when A Song of Ice and Fire is basically concluded. At least their version of A Song of Ice and Fire is concluded. So I wouldn't be surprised if they actually end up doing both in the long run. You know, if, if they do Robert's Rebellion and that does really well, they're going to want more, more material. Why not do Dunkin' Egg also? So, I could definitely see that happen. Do you guys have any thoughts on the possibility of Dunkin' Egg being developed? Or is it more just a fingers crossed kind of thing? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, if it does happen, I hope it is with HBO. I know that HBO have kind of owned a lot of the terminology of the Song of Ice and Fire world. So, if someone else did Dunkin' Egg... They wouldn't be able to use words like Targaryen. I've I've read that. So here's hoping that if it does go somewhere, it goes to HBO. And I, I think they're probably the only kind of company who could kind of pull it off with the effects and stuff that you might need, or the you know the sets and costumes and the good actors that we have come to appreciate. That's a good point. At least they wouldn't need to do dragons or direwolves. <laughs> Right. It would be nice to see some of those battles, or at least just the tournament, uh, the tournament, the the trial by seven. That would be very cool. Yeah, I think they could do a great job with it, and I'm sure that they have, you know, as they look at that option, which is bound to expire one day. They're running focus groups to see if that maybe that little mention of egg and all the sort of excitement among the fandom sends them, you know, a message. We can hope so. Definitely hope so. Now, before Eamon passed, he told Gilly to go south with the baby, which is just making us more and more excited for Old Town. The possibility seems to be more realistic and less about optimism. And without being too spoilery, I hope this doesn't spoil anybody, when we discuss the casting choices, uh, the casting calls at the end of this episode, I'll say our reasons for optimism are even more founded. So I won't say anything more than that. But Knight of the Forums, Darren Tucker, really wondered about this farewell between John and Sam because it seemed almost final. And he wonders if this is the last they'll see each other along the lines of a possible trip for Sam to Old Town. If Sam does leave, 
It could be before John gets back, especially if John gets stabbed beyond the wall rather than at Castle Black, which is certainly a possibility. Mary H. wonders if this does happen. Could Sam take on some of Marwin's role? That's a very interesting question. Of course, that's very hard to answer because, well, what is Marwin's role at this point? We don't really know. He's one of the ones that Quaith warned Danny about in her one of those visions but he seems to be someone that would be an ally of danny do you guys have thoughts on marwin this is a decent spot to spend a minute or two on marwin in general well i wonder if they're gonna have glass candles because that's one thing that he did i think i think in the oh, books yeah. the glass candles would be very important and you know could facilitate sam actually becoming a wizard <laughs> As, as hinted early on. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's take a, a look, a closer look at Sam's eulogy, which does have some similarities to the book. Uh, Yoke boy, why don't you take us through that? Yeah, I looked looked at the eulogy side by side, and the book eulogy is a bit longer, but in essence, they they did it quite accurately. It's just a little bit shorter. They cut a few things off, but it's it's uh, very accurate, I'd say. And, uh, well, actually, there's, aside from that being similar, there's large differences with Eamon's death in the books and in the show. Of course, Sam, Gillian, Eamon are on board the ship, the Cinnamon Wind, in the books, and they're obviously travelling. And he, Sam does actually plan to have Eamon burned, but instead he preserves his body in rum, until such a time that, you know, it could be burned. I've got the quote here. He will still burn, Sam thought miserably. Only now I have to do it. The Targaryens always gave their fallen to the flames. Kahuro Mo won't allow a funeral pyre aboard the cinema wind. So Eamon's corpse had been stuffed inside a cask of black belly rum to preserve it until the ship reached Old Town. And as far as I'm aware, that is the last time that Eamon's body is commented on. So we actually don't know what happened, but Sam was planning to burn it in the Targaryen rite. I guess there's some tinfoil possibilities for Eamon's body still being around. But I tell you what, I love a good glass of black belly rum soaked in old Targaryen. (laughs) Targaryen infused. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is fire and rum right there. Right. <laughs> it's like the worm in tequila. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a worm. It's still a worm. It's W Y R M. So let's talk about Sam, Gilly, and Ghost. This I thought was the weakest scene of the episode, and I really wonder how the hell is this kid still a baby? <laughs> yeah. <I could. laughs> Tommen and Marcella have aged up quite a bit, and this kid's been around about as long as they have. Hasn't this kid been around since like season two? Yeah. Yeah, I think I so. Think it was season two. I was trying to remember. So yeah. this kid, really, they're really driving the point home about ice preserving or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, this, this is one thing that um, a lot of people are commenting on. doesn't make a lot of sense that this baby hasn't grown. <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's definitely one of the weakest aspects of the show is the way they just do not give much thought to time and distance very much at all Mm -hmm. the the way Littlefinger travels around Mm -hmm. and the way some of these characters age is it definitely is a big piece that's missing from the books that keeps 
things feeling realistic. You get George takes a lot of pains to make things feel right, to make them feel consistent. And even though George occasionally makes mistakes on timelines, that's one. Of, it's not exactly his strong point either. He still puts a lot of effort into it and hides it where he can. So he doesn't make it obvious when he's not putting the, the most attention into it. So even when he makes mistakes there, they're really subtle. This is a, not very subtle, having this baby stay a baby for a couple of years. <laughs> no, it's not. And let's point out that in the books, when they get... It's obviously not Gilly's baby, it's Mance's son. But when they get him to Old Town, they're ready to name him. And, you know, they say that they don't name them till they're two. So, um, obviously that child has aged, at least in the books. <laughs> to some degree yeah more than, more than the one the <laughs> i show. wouldn't say there's much to say about the actual action scene I, I liked seeing ghost for a minute even though maybe it was a little awkward that he would be there it seems odd that he didn't take that ghost wasn't with john but the more i thought about that it made sense john you could you could argue it as john left ghost behind on purpose because he knew sam would be in danger and there's also some hints that john will be on a boat which makes bringing ghost a little more awkward so Eh, I could swallow that. It's not so bad. The rest of the scene was just kind of, I don't know, it was a little bit of a waste. <laughs> it's certainly, we've, we've certainly seen the whole Night's Watchmen, you know, trying to rape people before. That's just, it's, it's realistic. It's just a bit played, played out. And, but it does at least give more reason for Sam and Gilly to get the hell out of there, which has been, as we said, is being pushed as an idea quite a bit more. So, I'm not sure we needed more reason for them to leave, but this makes it quite clear that staying there is not the best idea for them. Now, here's a good thing to draw a parallel to, is the wildling attitudes on rape. Now, Gilly is, wasn't terribly phased by this incident, which is a bit refreshing, uh, to not have to watch someone be really anguished about it. And that harkens to Igrit's speech to John in the books about why the wildlings are the way they are about choosing, um, you know, a husband or a wife or whatever. It's about proving that you're strong enough that you, if you can steal a woman from her family, well, you're clearly strong and clever. And it's a, it's a very savage custom. And, but it's also very, in a sense, it's a bit more like how animals in nature work, which is why one would call it savage. But we can't say that it's wrong. It's just wrong for our society. Their society is what it is, and that's how it works. So we have, after that scene, we have Sam losing his virginity with his making his funny noises there. <laughs> so, Yoke Boy, take us through some of the parallels there with the same scene in the books. Yeah. Yeah, or well, everyone remembers this moment in the books. <laughs> it is the fat pink mast moment, which is used to describe Sam's erect penis. It is uh, very memorable. A nice and romantic scene with with Gilly for his first time. And one thing I noticed in the books, there's more emphasis on, oh, you know, I'm going to break my vows. Yeah. And that was, as far as I remember, that wasn't brought up, was it? Not really. He had already kind of... Sam wasn't contemplating. He had already kind of talked about it back earlier in the season. Remember, he's saying to John, well, technically it says we must not father. It doesn't say anything about actual intercourse. So I guess that was set up ahead of time. Well, yeah, in the books, I guess you don't have his internal monologue. I think it is internal. He thinks about his vows. And Gilly, I think about the same time, 
says that she's his wife. And I think he has one more thought about his vows, but he just says yes to Gilly. He, he just kind of ab- abandons that. So, <laughs> he, And then it goes on to say that he was, quote, drunk on rum and mother's milk and Gilly. Anyone who's read that scene recently knows what that means. And she kind of sells it well to him. She's like, look... The old gods aren't watching out here. You said though your vows to the old gods and we're out on a ship at sea. There's no way they can see you. <laughs> and it's not like he needed a lot of convincing, I think. What does what do you think a cock merchant would pay for a fat pink mast? Is that worth more or less than a dwarf cock? <laughs> <laughs> Depends. Do they sell but you know, is or what are their uh, ways of valuation? Is it is it weight? Is it rarity? Is it... I think I think you could sell that one as a charm to a sailor. You know the fat pink mast. I think it would be worth <laughs> yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. So, Lady Gwen, you had another thought on what happens with regards to the traditions around this funeral and how the, it played out on the ship a little differently. Yeah, and it was you know on the ship it was just after Eamon's funeral, of course, without the nasty scene in the middle. Um, they were basically following the summer islanders tradition of making love in the face of death and this is something that they've been encouraged and um uh is it kojamo yeah Uh, woman she takes the baby for gilly so um so that gilly can have a night off this tradition is explained to them so it was made even more kind of special in the books then yeah i know that name well because one of our cats is named kojamo there you go (laughs) (laughs) Easy to remember. Okay, any more thoughts on Sam and Gilly and the wall and the wildling situation? All right, that's a no, I guess. Let's move on to a bit south, but still in the north. Let's talk about Winterfell. Let's talk Reek, Sansa, and Brienne. I thought it was fitting, though they they fooled us pretty well, that Reek was not so, you know, easily, quote-unquote, swayed against Ramsay. After all that he went through, it seemed like it would have been a little much for him to just turn it around so quickly. What did you think, what did you think, Lady Gwen, you had some observations about, about Brienne and the... Mm-hmm. Well, I can say I agree with you about the Theon thing. I think it wouldn't have made sense for Theon to move right out of being Reek into that sort of heroic path he definitely needs a little more development but hopefully there's a step along that path that said that's a big departure from the books because reek never actually betrayed jane he just didn't do anything so he didn't actively go to ramsey with any uh betrayal so that's a good point because if he's swayed by helping jane in the book so he doesn't really have a lot of guilt over it's not her his fault at all with versus Sansa, he really did do bad things to her family, even though he didn't actually kill her brothers. So that's a good point, that he has more reason to feel guilty here. Yeah, now he's just added to his guilt. Yeah, oh, yeah, and now and with this too, yeah, he's already... So that's a good point. And then about Brienne, you know, I think, again, going back a couple discussions, we talked about whether that was her message about the candle in the tower and... She, her scene in this episode is just standing there staring at the tower. So I think if we had any percentage of doubt, we, that has been put to bed. <laughs> so let's talk about Ramsey and Sansa. They have some nice dialogue and banter here. But first of all, what was it that Sansa picked up there, Lady Gwen? You did a little, actually, you actually did a little research on this. Yeah, it was, um, she picked up an object that was sitting on top of one of the barrels there up on the wall walk. And it is... Either an awl or a gimlet or some kind of a woodworking tool, basically. 
that's used to make holes in wood. Maybe we talked about that might be something that's used to open a barrel or something. Either way, a wicked weapon. So basically the medieval version of a, a screwdriver or, you know, a chisel or something. So we'll see what she does with that. She just sort of stashed it inside her robe. She evidently still has it. The scene definitely reminded me of her the when she wanted to push Joffrey off the wall walk. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched with an unsullied who said the exact same thing with no prompting. Just That was really similar to the, the feel of it. That's neat. I wonder whether she's going to use it as a weapon or as some sort of maybe a way to escape. Or I'd prefer to see her use it as a weapon, jam it into... Ramsey's stinking face. <laughs> yes. But I fear that Ramsey will have to do more awful things before we see any sort of satisfaction there. But we'll see. We'll see. The, the interest, another interesting part of this scene was the talk of legitimacy, possible foreshadowing that Ramsey's legitimization will be invalid or overturned or passed over, but also maybe he dies before it matters. Yuck boy, what do you think? Hmm. Well, I, we did mention about the... Sounds are turning the Boltons on each other. That's one thing I want to mention. And, you know, it's Sansa that brings up this bastard comment. So, you know, perhaps the danger to Ra- to Ramsay and Roos just comes into this, um, comes in with Sansa mentioning it. Perhaps there will be a chain reaction from her bringing up this issue, you know. I'm unsure whether it would be overturned. Who knows, given what happened in this episode... Who knows, but it's definitely an interesting thought. Or it could just be Sansa starting to kind of needle Ramsay in her own subtle way. Yeah, maybe she's just looking for ways to piss him off or to, to get under his skin. <laughs> that's an under, that's a funny phrase to use against a Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> she could, he could teach her a thing or two about getting under skin, but things she does not want to learn. And yes. so, and this is the only thing we've seen so far. And we, we are, as readers, of course, we already know that Ramsey's bastardy is his, the hot button issue for him. Sansa, I like, I like that Sansa's playing on it, not just because we predicted it, because uh, it wasn't exactly a, a special prediction. I think we could, a lot of us saw that coming. I wouldn't say that was really sticking our necks out with that one. But the, uh, and then yet another interesting moment in this chat, though, was the reveal about Jon Snow, that she did not know that he was Lord Commander. And I thought that was a clever way for Ramsay to phrase it. You know, even bastards can rise high in this world uh it's a good to, it was good to have that line because that's a line that pops up in the books a few times it wasn't really <laughs> expecting it to come from ramsey but not from ramsey. <laughs> nice to hear but it was well placed uh given the context did you see the look in sansa's eye when she was told john was on the wall i i, I don't know if it's my imagination but she did have this kind of look in her eye of maybe a sudden realization maybe a little bit of hope yeah. A destination, perhaps. She was definitely surprised, like a little startled. She, she's been really good about keeping her, you know, a stone face, but she did not keep, she definitely reacted there. And Ramsey, of course, being fairly clever and reasonably intelligent, noticed that reaction, knew what it meant. And then he, so this, this made me think of something a little slightly differently. I've, I've, for the last several episodes, I've been saying that Sansa's talking about how home gives her strength is an indication that she's going to kind of win from within. In other words, she's not going to f- necessarily flee from Winterfell because just because of those clues. But now the whole the idea of her escaping to John, kind of like how our, uh, Jane Poole does, is 
maybe makes a little more sense. But on the other hand, it it isn't heavily foreshadowed and there's also the whole Brienne thing to consider and it's it's a bit difficult to predict at this point we'll just say that there the possibilities remain open for multiple things to happen Jane if we're thinking along the lines of what happens with Jane Jane runs into Stannis first with you know with Theon and uh, so that could that throws the whole thing into another that just creates a whole other possibility of making the whole prediction more complicated so then we have the flayed old woman very sad I suppose that was maybe something we could have seen coming Ramsay isn't going to be undone so easily so a few people a few casualties have to come along the way I suppose now Theon really reacted to this a bit he looked even more miserable than he normally does in the last you know, of course, at the end of the last episode, he looked utterly miserable with his wonderful but horrific facial acting. And we kind of are seeing something similar here. Is this making him more like... Is this going to push him deeper into his reek psyche? Or or is this making him more likely to help Sansa? What do you guys think about that? Where does, where does, where does this leave him right now? Um, I think it's going to push him deeper into reek in the short term. I mean, there's a possibility, depending on future interactions with Sansa, at least one of which we can talk about later when we talk about the uh, coming right, next right. time. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't see him making big moves yet after this after this episode. I think it's interesting that Sansa is there challenging. You know, she's there saying, you're Theon, you're not Reek. Yeah, of all the people to be doing that. No one's really done that. Yeah, it's interesting it's Sansa, but... No one's done that before, and I think she is creating some cognitive dissonance in that in, in his head. And although he's kind of now been trained to think this way, I think that this challenge is vital, and, and this will help to develop him, uh, re- rediscover himself in the long term for sure. I think it's vital. Someone said to him, "No, you're Theon. You're the you're the." the heir to the island isle she says and theon hasn't had any challenges it's just been ramsay in his mode uh, kind of training him and you know this will be a welcome challenge to 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 theon to revert back to him, his old self if that's ever possible that's a good point um and overall this scene as well as the scene we're going to move on to next there is the omnipresent winter. There's a lot of snow in the scene. Ramsey's head is just coated with snow. And I, I, I considered briefly the possibility that this is not just a backdrop of weather, but it's also maybe a bit of foreshadowing for what's coming, not just for the North in general, but maybe that's what's coming for him. Maybe he's buried under the snow. If It could be a Battle of Ice reference you know, it could be a, it could just be a sign that Ramsey has really bad dandruff. <laughs> <laughs> no head and shoulders at, at Winterfell. No, he, 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 his only heads and shoulders yeah. <laughs> are the ones he cuts off of other people. So, but I think the, the snow is really interesting and it's important to remember that winter is coming, that that's going to be a huge plot to point from going forward it's going to be less of a backdrop and more of a centerpiece and this is a great time for us to segue over to stannis davos and melisandre who are feeling the effects of the snow even more so let's call this we're calling this section in the snow (laughs) davos stannis and mel there's some direct 
very direct, almost identical, well, maybe not almost identical, but effectively identical quotes and situations from the book happening here. Uh, Lady Gwen, why don't you take us through some of that? Well, we had the horses dying, so we got a couple quotes from Dance with Dragons. It's mentioned a lot in Dance with Dragons that their horses are dying. First, we got a count. We had 800 horses when we marched from Deepwood Ma last night. The count was 64, so they're, they're pretty depleted on their horse count. And then there's this. And there was no food beyond their failing horses, fish taken from the lakes, fewer every day, and whatever meager sustenance their foragers could find out in these cold, dead woods. With the king's knights and lords claiming the lion's share of the horse meat, little and less remained for the common men. Small wonder, then, that they had started eating their own dead. And that's, of course, Asha reflecting on the situation in Stannis' camp when cannibalism begins. <laughs> yes. I wonder if we'll get a cannibalism scene in the snow. It's not something we actually put in our notes. I just kind of thought of it here. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's going to be part of what maybe convinces Stannis to do the unthinkable, which mm. we're, I think we all know what the unthinkable is. It's a, it's a topic we're about to discuss, but yeah, things that can push Stannis toward that direction. I, I hope, I hope, we don't see that. Not be, not because I don't want to see cannibalism. I'm not. I don't want to see cannibalism in its place. We do, <laughs> but yeah, in, you know, at Winterfell with Frey pies, we do. But. Yeah, that's the kind of cannibalism we want to see. <laughs> not here. <laughs> or Bolton pies. Bolton pies. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Now we got a, a the briefest uh, of book reader nods there with the mention that the storm crows have ridden off, which is kind of funny because it's a storm. That they're all caught up in, and the storm crows are the ones who leave. But of course, the storm crows are Dario's sellsword company in the books, rather than the Second Sons. Which, uh, using the law of conservation of sellsword companies, <laughs> they had to combine those. Right. And <laughs> so that was a uh, that was fun to hear them mention. Five hundred men. It's the exact same size it's, company in the, it in the was show. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Yoke Boy, you, the talk, Melisandre's speaking of her visions was a, was an interesting point in this scene, and it allowed us to make some parallels. Yeah, I'm really interested in Mel's visions in the book, so I was really glad that we got something. And she says she saw herself walking along the battlements of Winterfell, and also that she saw the Boltons' um, sigil lowered. So, I'm starting to think... You know how Mel can be wrong. You know what's what's the, the, the there might be an alternative explanation. That's I think that's a plot point in the books at, at least a couple of times with like Renly's ghost. And I, I wondered if the 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 girl on the battlements that Mel thinks herself could it be Sansa? It, you, you know, like we said, she could escape. It could be like the books. Could this be the snow jump that, that Mel's seeing and she thinks it's herself? It's possible. Something just occurred to me along those lines. If we want to possibly consider that, look for clues to make that uh, uh, that idea more likely. Because I really like the possibility that she's seeing Sansa instead of herself. We should consider looking at what kind of coats they're wearing to see if there's any similarity there. Because <laughs> right. if Melisandre's yeah. dressing in her usual like red stuff, that would make it harder for her to make that mistake. But if she's just wearing, you know, like some sort of furry overcoat, kind of like Sansa has, well, yeah. In any case, I like that idea a lot. Sansa's supposed to be very tall. Yes, they tall, are. So. I, can't, I can't think of an alternative explanation for the Bolton sigil to be lowered other than, you know, it might appear that way in heavy snow. 
if if the the sigils are kind of up a pole like flags and then it snows it might look like they've been lowered or something like that but i couldn't really think of any other good ideas for that interesting now lady gwen you thought melisandre's suggestion of burning shireen may have been too much for stannis something that we're i don't think anyone wants this to happen but it has to be considered well what do you think right it does. Um, but watching the scene, I wonder if she's overplayed her hand. You know, this could be the reason we saw that touching father-daughter scene a few episodes ago. So she could have just gone a step too far. He was very angry. He told her to get out. It wasn't like an, uh, get out while I think about it. <laughs> kind of get out. <laughs> just get out, you evil witch. So, but will Mel try to burn Shireen anyways without permission? Does that baby Solis gives her permission without Stannis knowing? This has been telegraphed for a long time. A lot of it has come through Mis- uh, Mel's interactions with Solis. So that's a definite possibility. Yeah, Solis' willingness has been set up for sure. It's yeah. so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. But, you know, maybe something like that happens and that's what gets her sent back to the wall if she tries to do the go ahead without permission yeah and that that would lead that would kind of plug this gap we're making an assumption here that john will need resurrecting by mel aren't we but in that scenario we need mel up to the wall so we are actually looking for ways that she could get sent home so i think that that's a a decent call from lady gwyn that you know, a kind of failed attempt to burn Shireen. Stannis kind of sends her away in disgust. I could see that. And that would send Solis off as well. That could either, that would be a way to kind of put things back to where they are in their book arc, getting them back to the wall. And I also noticed something else about this scene that was unusual. Melisandre is usually a very calm and confident when she's telling Stannis what has to happen. But she was a bit, she even sounded a bit desperate with this if you watch it with with that in mind and and notice how she's talking to him her voice even cracks slightly at one point and i don't think that was just a slip up by the actress or the director no not at all i assume that was very intentional so i thought that was interesting that even melisandre maybe is feeling a bit scared and that's something that she hasn't really shown yeah I, i guess at this point in the books you're kind of getting her pov and seeing that she does have her insecurities she's actually very like in the show she's very confident all the way through in a way she's like a strong woman kind of character but um a lot of it is just she knows how to play people she's got a a fair stack of insecurities herself in the books we we get to hear she you know had a pretty horrible upbringing and that that's kind of been alluded to in the show so i'm really glad they're showing this other dimension to a character and it, it does humanize her and, and and maybe not make us like her more but make us understand her i think that's really important that she's not just this which she she's a human just like anyone else yeah that, I, I was actually just listening to her her chapter her one chapter uh, just a few hours ago just to look for her last minute parallels or just to get a better sense of her book character is a good reminder and it's true i mean she expresses genuine concern for davos's feelings about how the fact he's lost all his sons and she doesn't have she doesn't think like nasty dirty thoughts at any point she's not thinking about tricking people or hurting people she's genuinely 
believes, as wrong as she is about a lot of things, she really is focused on saving humanity, which makes her a very interesting character. I, 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 that chapter was probably a chapter that almost nobody expected to see, especially if you follow George's thoughts on who he likes to make point of view characters. He's He's been saying since the first book came out that he's never going to have point of views from characters that know too much. He's never going to have a point of view from Stannis or Littlefinger or Varys, characters that just have too many secrets in their head. So Melisandre was a huge surprise. When I heard the rumor about Melisandre being a chapter, I was like, no way. That goes against everything you said, but sure enough. And it was actually less revealing than we might have thought, but very, I mean, not that it wasn't revealing. It was an extremely illuminating chapter, but it didn't tell us some of the things that we might have expected to see inside her head. It was a big surprise, but in a in an unexpected and positive kind of way. So it's good stuff. It, it really revealed more about her, like I said, about her hopes and fears, it, you know, helped to, to humanize her. I thought it was a really wonderful chapter, by the way. It's one of my favorites in dance for sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, but the mention along the uh, more detailed look at the scene and trying to draw in some of the show plots as well. There was something that was lacking here, right? When when Melisandre was trying to convince Stannis. Yeah, she's a little, like you said, she's sounding a little desperate. She's trying to convince him. She's rattling off the things that she's done for him. And she says, you know, they're dead. The usurper, Rob Stark. The, the usurper, Joffrey Baratheon. And then skips Balon. <laughs> Stop. Forget about that leech. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so I'm sure that was lost on no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even show watchers are like, wait, what wait, about... What about that other guy? <laughs> <laughs> but that actually might be fitting in really nicely with some of our predictions. Now let's let's consider a few possibilities. Number one, what if Balon... We remember our prediction about Balon and the Faceless Men where... Balon isn't dead yet because he gets killed by the Faceless Men, most likely, in the books. And now that the Faceless Men have been introduced, finally we can go ahead and have Balon die. Well, one problem with this is how would Stannis get news of Balon's death in the snow where he is? Well, Melisandre maybe could give him that news somehow. But that would be somewhat convincing to Stannis saying, oh wow, so the magic is working. And what we could see is, for all we know, early in the next episode, Stannis could be come back to her and say, "What you know, Balon Greyjoy isn't dead, you said three, you know, and that could be the final straw that convinces him. Say, look, Balon is dead now. Boom, there you go. It could also, so, like I said, I'm not sure how Stannis could get news of this happening. Melisandre's magic might be the only way that could happen. But watching her Sam G, uh, Sam G Bishop, rather, wonders if this plot line might be how the idea of Nissa Nissa is introduced to the show. I don't, I don't think Nissa Nissa has been brought up by Salador San or by anybody else. So that could be what we're looking at here, how the importance of this big sacrifice is and how it's, it goes in line with the, the prophecies and all that. And that might be something that's somewhat convincing to Stannis. Although we know from Mel's point of view in the book that Stannis is not much of a believer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he understands strength, but he is kind of uh, atheistic about, about anything that isn't directly proven. If there's evidence, he goes with it, but he's, he doesn't assume much about what's out there in terms of supernatural and yeah so i'm really hoping stannis doesn't give permission for this that would be a big axe in his character (laughs) as far as his personality that i really would hate to see that yeah but it does seem some of these things do seem to tie in with each other at least they have the potential to so i guess we just have to wait now one thing that was lacking was the possibility of other sources of king's blood we didn't see 
earlier this year. We didn't see Mance's talk about that at all. So I guess in show canon, Mance's King's blood isn't good enough. It's Wildling Kings aren't. That's that's not high enough grade King's blood. They're not really. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Aemon Targaryen himself. That didn't come up. That was obviously that from the from a book point of view. That's why John sent Aemon to Old Town is to get him away from Melisandre. That wasn't necessary here. There seems to be another reason to force John and or to force Sam and Gilly away from the watch. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we had also thought about the possibility, based on the March order and a few other clues, the fact that Asha is probably going to appear later this season. We thought maybe Deepwood Mott would be included. A lot of you watchers wrote in and suggested that possibility, and we thought it was a decent idea, but it doesn't seem to be playing out that way. There's no indication that Stannis isn't, is doing anything other than heading straight for Winterfell. That seemed to be, that point seemed to be driven home pretty well by Davos there. But I'll let me just say this because I just thought of this. We, we were talking about ways Stannis could get news of Balon's death. If Asha suddenly appears out of nowhere, maybe not Deepwood Mott, but just oh. there she appears, she could be the one to bring the news that her father's dead. That's interesting. Another possibility for Davos to go do something else or maybe to get lined up with his book arc would be that if either of our possibilities can actually tie into this if 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 stannis voluntarily burns shireen that could just disgust davos to the point where he abandons stannis now davos is ultra loyal but even that might even davos's loyalty might be tested by that and this could be a way for him to leave stannis and i don't know why he'd want to rescue rickon for stannis after that but it could be related another possibility is of course if if solis and melisandre are sent back to the wall well i don't know if he would if shireen is still alive he would not want them her to be with them (laughs) so he might send her somewhere else and he might charge davos with her protection so and maybe davos and shireen go somewhere and during that plot arc they encounter rickon somehow we certainly talked about the possibility not on this show, but in our Battle of Ice series, we talked about the possibility of a Rickon and Shireen marriage. Which, if the show is going to do that, if it's even a real thing that's going to happen in the books, that would be a pretty good way for them to set it up by just having Davos and Sh- or having Shireen and Rickon just wind up in the same area together. And then it would be natural and organic for them to like develop a liking for each other. And Davos and Shireen being together has been is pretty well telegraphed in that scene when they were leaving that's also very true you that's a great point how they were how he was saying you know i need you to protect me <laughs> yeah right so yeah so that's a good point so davos and shireen being together does seem to be something foreshadowed so we're looking for ways for that to happen and this could be it i think that whatever happens i think that the likelihood of shireen and melisandre and Celise still being with stannis when the battle really comes to a head however that plays out is i don't think they'll be there for it so some way or another they're gonna have to leave and i think we've outlined some very good possibilities so real quick like here i want to drop another notification to you guys to make sure to check out a hymn for spring from tower of the hand featuring essays by some of the most well-known uh, community members of A Song of Ice and Fire, the podcasting and blogging community mostly. A lot of great writers have submitted or had submitted essays to that book. And we're going to, in the coming months after the TV show, 
We're going to be discussing some of those essays. We'll probably podcast about it. So get on that, get on board the Hymn for Spring ship, folks, and, and start reading that so you'll be prepared for whenever that comes. I know it's hard to focus on anything other than the TV show right now. I'm the same. I've hardly focused on anything but the TV show right now. But after the show is over this season, we're going to have plenty more of things to talk about. A Song of Ice and Fire never stops. That's the great thing about it. Even when the show is over. The show must go on. <laughs> right. So let us move on to the Cooper and Darnell show. Of course, that means Dorn. We need some sort of cheesy 70s, 80s theme, so, theme show song to denote yeah. Cooper and Darnell time that it fits in so well. <laughs> so Jamie and Marcella, we'll start with there. So, sorry, Darnell and Marcella. Um, what what do you guys think about the possibility that Marcella actually marries Tristane? Because, of course, it seems to be a, a strong enough possibility in the books for that to still happen. But it hasn't actually happened yet, so it might not happen. We do. Uh, do you guys think that's what's, what we're heading for here in the show as well? Certainly, if Marcella has anything to say about it. <laughs> and Tristane. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's certainly what they're pushing. Yeah. Now, probably Doran. Too. You noticed, uh, Yukpo. You noticed a bit of a parallel here with Marcella and and another unusual situation that I certainly this one didn't occur to me at all. Yeah, it just just reminded me of something in the early season. Uh, Jamie makes this massive voyage with a lot of effort and risk to come and rescue Marcella, and she she just doesn't want to go. Simple as that. She doesn't want to, and uh, we saw that happen with. Yara, <laughs> Yara, Res- rescuing the the dog-like ring, <laughs> and he'd rather he was there in his kennel, and he'd rather stay there and be be a little dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that was the last time we saw Yara. Thank you for giving her her correct name. She'll <laughs> yeah, I have a real hard time. I call her Asha Yara sometimes. Oh. Yeah. oh. I thought there was a kind of a, a sneaky nod to Ariane here. There's actually a couple of nods to Ariane in these Dorner scenes. And this one, Jamie just sitting there waiting for Doran to come talk to him about why he's in prison and why he was even there. It's kind of a way, it's a similar kind of keeping him waiting kind of deal. And while Doran lets things play out or while he just, just does his thing. Mm-hmm. I got that too. Other than that, I don't think there was a whole lot to get out of this scene. It was more of a, well, this is a a stepping stone to some bigger things coming later. It was just a reminder of what's happening. It was basically a tease. And speaking of teases, we have the scene with Cooper and the Sand Snakes, which was a bit of, there was a bit of sneakiness there. It's easy to get lost in what's happening in the scene and not realize that there's actually a point to it. Tyeen was making uh, bronze blood, his heart beat faster and that was making the poison work. That's why she kept asking about how his head and arm were feeling because she knew what was going to be going on in his body beyond beneath between his legs. And it's also a nod, a bit of a nod to Ariane here again, there's a possibility that Tyene is seducing Bronn like Ariane seduced Aris Okart. And we already talked in several places about how Aris Okart is a parallel to Bronn loosely here. And that brings us a little closer to that possibility. Lady Gwen, you had some thoughts on the scene as well. Well, of course, we discussed that, you know, we were all very nervous. He was one of our worries, Bron or Cooper. Uh, so this scene, just throughout the whole thing, 
felt like it had all the elements of a very satisfactory Game of Thrones death. You had the swan song. Um, <laughs> Jerome Flynn gets, yes, he finally gets to sing that song. He tried to sing it a couple episodes ago. Jamie cut him short. This is very <laughs> fitting for him because he's, of course, well known as a cheesy pop singer in his native country. Uh, he gets this final tease of a sexual encounter. There's this slow acting poison, and it just really all felt like it's building up for him to die this death in this cell. But he's still alive! <laughs> is it reverse, reverse expectations? What's going on? Are they just setting be. us up bigger, or is he actually going to be safe? I don't know. I'm really happy for it, because I, I like Braun. I, I found it a little puzzling, but I do still think he's going to die. Yeah, maybe he's just being kept alive so Arya Hota can kill him. I feel like Arya Hota has to kill somebody. Yes, right. We need that <laughs> and who else could it be? I don't suppose he's going to kill one of the Sand Snakes. No, probably not. I, but the other possibility is that Bronn works with the Sand Snakes, or that these are both possibilities, that they work together, and that also gets and him killed. And then he killed. gets killed, right. Yeah. It's too bad. Reduce, I, I like to think of this as reverse, reverse expectations, mm-hmm. right. in a sense. Like, oh, they saved Bronn, but no, they didn't really save yeah. Bronn. So, we will see, indeed. That is another kind of wait-and-see situation. It really hasn't been much of Doran Martell. <laughs> I, was, I was really hoping we'd see more of him, but, of course, there's still three episodes left. And surely we're going to see him some. At least there's going to be a scene with him and Jamie, I would think. That has to happen. Mm -hmm. So, well, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Keep it coming. So let's go ahead and keep moving. Let's go on to the other deserty location. Let's go to Marine, far across the sea. We look for some parallels in this auction scene to what was happening in the books. There's some loose parallels, mostly just Tyrion kind of manipulating his own value in a positive way to get bought and instead of kind of the roles are reversed a bit instead of Jorah being left behind etc it's that role's kind of reversed so Lady Gwen you had some thoughts on how this relates to the name of the episode well Tyrion obviously is the gift or he proclaims himself to be the gift I wondered when I reread the auction scene Brown Ben Plum in Dance with Dragons is at the auction trying to buy Tyrion um most likely to make a gift to Cersei. Uh, we talked about it was probably unlikely that he was going to give him to Danny, but I just wondered if there's a little bit of a parallel going on there since we don't have Brown Ben Plum with Jorah getting yeah. the gift. Yeah. That's a good point. This slaver apparently is Yezan Zokegas, who is the yellow whale in the books. Not exactly. He's not exactly four Illyrios, which is how Tyrion describes him. Like, damn, this four is, Illyrios. This is too that bad. Is... Yeah, surely they could have come a little closer. <laughs> At least two Illyrios. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Even two show Illyrios, and Illyrios a lot smaller right. than the show. <laughs> But I suppose it's hard to find an actor who resembles a yellow whale. <laughs> Maybe. So, young boy, what are your thoughts on this scene? You had a couple of observations yeah, here. Yeah, I quite like the scene, really, for what it was. Um, you saw that Tyrion immediately realized how vulnerable he was alone as a dwarf and as a slave, you know, the combination of those. This is the first very brief time he's on his own in Essos, and I'm talking about when Jura's been sold and Tyrion's waiting there on the block and he could go elsewhere. So he actually begs to be kept with Jura, who not long ago was slapping him right in the face. (laughs) Uh, But you see see how vulnerable Tyrion is. It's all relative, isn't it? Uh, we're used to seeing Tyrion kind of use his wits and his his sharp tongue and mouth to get out of situations like this, 
all the way back to uh, Shagger in the in the Vale, and we we also saw it with his first meeting with the slavers. He kind of lies and tells tales and just uses his mouth, but this time he used violence, and we know he's capable of violence because of what he did with uh, Tywin, and yeah, this time he uses violence and he whipped that guy with his chain and. You know it works. It was it was the right it's the right tactic. Uh, I thought it was interesting that we see that Yezen thinks of uh, freeing slaves when he's reminded that slaves have been freed, and he pays them a wage, and it's like one coin for the rest of your life. <laughs> and he he gives Tyrion and Jura that coin, and then it cuts right into Danny. Remembering that in the books she tried, she's the one that started this anti-slavery thing. So it's just showing how effective it is. People will do anything to, you know, keep the old dynamics, and that includes this. In the books, it includes the, both the masters and the and the slaves. They try and reinstate old dynamics, and then gonna go straight. I was gonna go straight to the Danny Dario because. It, that, that's 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 good, a good point. It's literally this showing that that anti-slavery isn't working. Tyrion gets a, paid a coin for life, and then, like in the show, Dario tells Danny that all rulers must be either butchers or meat. I think it's a very powerful line. Something that is could affect Danny's future arc when she has to really decide if she's going to be a kind of savior. Or something far more violent if she's going to take Westeros. So perhaps that's what she's learned in, in Marine in the books. She's either got to be uh, a butcher or meat. It's it's a, you know no grey area between those two. You've either got to be really firm as a ruler, or you're going to get you know walked walked on, which is what the line means. And um, another observation is that we have previously said that Daria embodies a few different people, and uh, there was obviously shave, uh, the shave paint in there, in his t- in his tone. He did actually advise Danny to to kind of butcher all the masters at the you know at the wedding or yeah. It was it was a very similar plan that horrified Danny. Just and it, it's 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 funny because in the books, it, 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 on one hand to me it sem- it seems really awful, but I I could almost appreciate that it was somewhat sensible <laughs> even though it was like no this is not like danny at all but i could kind of see where dario is coming from like look just these these people are never going to yield to you they're never gonna you know accept you you just got to get rid of them which is it's interesting how the show has actually brought that out more because there's really no sympathetic Marinese from the upper from the upper nobility there's certainly a sympathetic lower level Marinese, but from the elites we're not. We don't have much reason to sympathize with any of them, except for mm. some of the children, which Danny has right. taken on as hostages. But she, it's made quite clear that she could never hurt them because they're just little kids, and she likes them, and Barristan likes them too. And the idea of of harming these little hostages is just—it's not going to happen, at least not with Danny's permission. And even though Skahas is is all over it, like, well, we've got these hostages, and she's like, no, we're not going. <laughs> to... Sorry, that's not going to happen. We're not going to touch these kids. So. 
that that's something to that that is kind of interesting to me that I actually have more sympathy for the for the masters <laughs> on the TV show, <laughs> just because of oh, his dar his speech and of how he points out that some of these people are are not bad guys. You know, it's just they're just caught up in their traditions, and some of them are redeemable, et cetera, et cetera. So that that actually makes it more of a conundrum for her, which I think is kind of interesting. Good job, show. Now, the actual pit scene. This was a big surprise. Of course, the pit scene itself existing wasn't a surprise, but the fact that Danny was going to be there, that was, we, we all saw it coming that Danny was going to meet Tyrion, but we didn't, I don't think any of us thought it was going to happen this episode. That was a big surprise. So, a lot of questions here. First of all, she's overwhelmed by the violence. She kind of put herself in that spot. It's, it's very similar to what's happening in the main pit scene in the show, or in the book of Daznak's Pit, where she's just disgusted by all the killing and the flies and the heat and everything. It's just too much for her. And it's a this is a bit of a throwback to that and how she's just disgusted. Danny Amelia Clark does some good facial acting there. Now what is she gonna do with Tyrion? She didn't I was this is a big a big question for us book readers for a long time. We've expected Tyrion and Danny to encounter each other at some point. And a the biggest question was, how is she going to react? Is she just going to immediately be disgusted and want Tyrion's de- Tyrion dead, want his head cut off? Would she just lose her temper? Well, it's interesting that they did it in this moment. This was a really interestingly done. She was choked up by seeing Jorah. So whatever reaction she has to Tyrion being you know, revealed that she's got this Lannister in front of her, it's tempered by the fact that she's just been confronted by Jorah and, and that just brings out so many emotions for her. So it's, it's, it's not a, na- a neutral reaction. We, it's, it's tempered again by Jorah being there. So while well, been, we've been waiting for this reaction for so long and how she's going to greet Tyrion and, and now it's, it's kind of thrown off. It's, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's, it's incomplete. We don't know yet what her reaction is going to be because it's it's complicated by Jorah's presence. So, uh, what do you, do you guys have any thoughts on what might happen with Tyrion there? How she is he just? You think he's just going to talk his way into her good graces like he usually does, or, or you think there's going to be anything more to it? <laughs> I was waiting for Matt to talk. <laughs> <laughs> anyone? Anyone? <laughs> I think I think I think you're right. I think that. You know, he, he'll use his tongue and th- there'll be a moment where it looks like she's really going to turn on him. I-, I think there'll be some tension for a while. But then, as Tyrion does in a pattern, he'll talk his way out of it. And he- she'll realise that, she, you know, she needs a few. She needs, for a start, she needs Westerosi for her long-term goals. She needs them. And uh, Tyrion Lannister is a very smart very smart one and he can help her take Westeros what you know what why would she not want that help yeah I think as long as she doesn't as long as her rage doesn't you know take over Hmm. she should find herself with the best possible advisor she could have I always actually thought this is my this is a theory I've held for a long time we had the scene with Brown Ben Plum in the books where the dragon, where he's treated nicely by one of the dragons because of, allegedly because of his drop or two of dragon blood, which Tyrion then refers to later. He even understands it, even perceives the reason why. He said, I bet the dragons liked you, and I know why. Mm-hmm. Well, without getting into the whole, is Tyrion a Targaryen theory, mm. I, I'm, I'm open to the possibility of that theory. I wouldn't say I'm a major believer in it. I think there's a good chance for it, and it, it's certainly there's enough evidence to consider it a workable theory, not necessarily a true theory, but a workable theory, one that has to be considered possible. 
And this, to me, since for, literally for more than 10 years, has been my concept of how it would happen. It would be that Tyrion is introduced to, to Danny, and she freaks out a bit, hates him, loses her temper, which she's certainly capable of doing, and tries to feed him to one of her dragons. Something along those lines, or the dragons are in the room, or he's put in, in their presence, and they like him, just along the lines of they like the reason they like Brown Ben Plum. And that's how we get the idea that, well, he's got a drop of dragon blood too. And of course that, you know, would have to mean he's Ares' son. But like I said, we're not going to get too deep into that. But So I'm not going to say that theory is true or not, but if that is what happens, well, if you're a disbeliever in the Tyrion Targaryen theory, I'm sorry, especially if you hate it. Because I know a lot of people hate that theory, but if this is what happens, <laughs> you're going to, you might have to start accepting the possibility that it's true. <laughs> But, and, and frankly, it would be a bit annoying for the show to reveal that particular factor. Because there's no way, I'm sorry, but there's no way it's going to be true in the show and not true in the books. That's one of those things that if it's true in the show, they didn't make that up on their own. That's because George told right. them that. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's one of those things that the show could spoil for us. It's one of the big yeah. things I'm worried the show will spoil for us that I'd much rather read in the books. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality we're faced with. And this is why we're going to do a book-to-show support group episode at the end of the season to lament all the things that we're going to maybe or definitively or already have learned from the show that we just have to accept is probably a book spoiler. Some of the things the show does will not be book spoilers, but those main plot points like that, like secret identities and hidden parentage, I don't think the show's going to go too deep in making that stuff up on their own. Uh, I could be wrong, and I kind of hope I am, but... I don't think so. So, uh, any more thoughts on what's coming for Tyrion and Danny? Any, any anything else before we move on to the big location? I just want to say that this is possibly, you know, the most uncharted territory, isn't it, that, that we've had in the show, really. That uh, watching the relationship between those two is something that some people have waited, you know, over a decade for, and you know, the the, the TV shows got there first and nobody can predict because we're, we're not there yet. It's the first thing we've hit, which is, you know, so ahead of the curve. Yeah, like Bran was set to be really ahead of the curve, but they just suspended his plot line. So you're right. People have talked about how a lot of things are going to pass over. A lot of plot lines are going to be passed. But for the most part, that hasn't really happened yet. It's just we're getting really close to that point. So season six is going to be where the really, really major divergences start, where the divergences based on divergences are happening. We're only seeing the beginning of that because it's true. If you really sit down and look at all the plot lines, most of them are just getting to that point. They're just reaching their book arc. They haven't quite gotten there yet. So, Mm -hmm. All right, so let us go to... Our final and most important, as far as the most things happen there in this particular episode, not necessarily the most important thing going forward, but the most focused area in this episode of The Gift, episode 7 of season 5, and that is, of course, King's Landing. It's a series of scenes, mostly with pairs of people, usually involving Olena, well, always involving either Olena, Cersei, or the High Sparrow, or both, or rather not both, but two of those three. We get a little bit of talk about the seven-pointed star as they banter back and forth. And it becomes clear quite quickly that Olena is... This is not her ordinary uh, opponent, is it? Uh, no. I got the distinct feeling that she has met her match. <laughs> yeah, I think the High Sparrow summed it up when he said Alina is used is really used to sniffing out 
people's motives. You know, this is a political thing and a human thing. And in a sense, although he's a religious fanatic and below the surface, there's a lot up with him. He is quite pure, isn't he? He doesn't seem to have, genuinely doesn't seem to have any ulterior motives to be sniffed out, which is what he was pointing out. And he said he simply does the God's work, at least as he sees it. So he can't be bribed. He can't be kind of scammed or manipulated, uh, partially due to his pure motives, but also partially due due to Cersei, who has empowered him. (laughs) And and now he's kind of rolled on that, you know, the, the armament of the faith, and he's a really great power. He's uh, He's got popular support, as, aside from everything else, which has made him a really formidable opponent. Arguably, he is the most powerful man in the realm right now. He is certainly the most powerful man in King's Landing, I would say. Especially after Cersei goes into her cell there. <laughs> so that is quite interesting a true man of the people uplifted by the man by the by the people in a sense and as you said he doesn't really have weaknesses that people can intrigue towards he may have personality weaknesses or his rigidity may be a weakness in a sense but as far as leaning on him he doesn't have family to threaten he doesn't have gold he doesn't have greed to be leveraged it's he's a bit he's terrifying in a lot of ways <laughs> <laughs> the purity, the, the the his purity is obviously uh, is in terms of following the law. That is something that he's very strict about. If it's in the seven pointed star, it's canon to him. It's 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 what he's following. And yeah, it's 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 interesting. There's something I spoke about briefly with Sean in our show only review that he's not a good guy or a bad guy. He's just follows the doctrines to the letter. When he's helping the poor. He's not doing it out of the kindness of his heart, just as he's not delighting in torturing people for their crimes. It's just, it's almost very, it's kind of Stannis-like in a way. It's like, well, this is the law. It's that simple. Yeah. This is justice. So, it's funny how that, to when that attitude is applied towards laws that we agree with, it's the best thing ever. But when it's stuff like this, where he's just going after, you know people for their sexual choices it's like that really offends our modern sensibilities and is like oh i kind of like his integrity but i hate what he's standing for yeah so so tommen and cersei speaking of butchers or meat tommen is seen is tommen scene comes immediately after dario's line there so we kind of get the hint there tommen is is meat and perhaps the High Sparrow is the butcher at this point and cersei is kind of helping <laughs> in the wrong way so, Lady Gwyn, you notice a very interesting parallel with, with Tommen's youth and how that changes the, the scenario and creates a new parallel that wasn't there in the books. Well, he's, um, he says something. He's so frustrated about what's going on in that scene. He says, I am the king. The queen is in prison and there's nothing I can do. This is really reminiscent of Book Joffrey saying, I am the king. Somebody was defying him and he was extremely irate and in the books i couldn't remember if if he said it in the show but in the books of course tywin says any man who must say i am the king is no true king at all so eh, that was a little ominous and especially like you said coming right after the butchers or meat uh statement yeah maybe you'd say it's tominous (laughs) yeah 
Right. It's true. Yeah, a lot of people said they were the queen this episode, too. <laughs> Marjorie, Cersei, and Daenerys Dana- says that, you know, every other episode, okay. every other scene she's in. She says she says what she's not, but, you know, she's like, I am the queen. I'm a queen, not a... Mm. I'm a queen, not a mm-hmm. blank. You know, in this in this case, I'm not a butcher. <laughs> Funny because Tywin, when he said, uh, "Who any man you must say in the king is no true king at all," followed it up with, "Aerys never learned that." <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Aerys never <laughs> learned that. <laughs> it's not in Danny's blood to know that lesson. Actually, yeah, and actually, I think if I remember correctly, he said, "Aerys never learned that lesson, but you will." But you will. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> sorry, Tywin. He did not learn that lesson. Nope. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> maybe he maybe he learned it as he was choking to death. He's like, ah, I shouldn't have told them I was king. Joffrey. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yoke Boy, you had some thoughts as well on some some of the undertones in Cersei's what Cersei was saying here. Yeah, Cersei. What interested me? She said that she would burn cities to the ground for Tommen. Okay, and this reminds us all of the this quite a large amount of Cersei wildfire hints in the book um, her eyes are described as wildfire there's the bit where she's uh, burning the Tower of the Hand and there's a fair few more Cersei wildfire connections so we've got to remember those caches of wildfire under King's Landing that are in the books I'm not sure they are in the show but I I thought it was interesting that he says that she says that that she would burn cities to the ground Uh, this actually i'm gonna do a brief segue here with that line because i this to me is since we touched briefly on the whole Tyrion targaryen possibility there's a a lot of people that think that maybe jamie and cersei are the children of Ares instead of Tyrion, or in addition to Tyrion. now the world of ice and fire kind of put a serious dent in that theory almost almost the final nail in the coffin based on the timeline and to me, that is a reminder that this has been alluded to. Cersei is not a dragon. She is more like wildfire. She's not dragon flame. She's wildfire. She, everything she touches is destroyed, including herself. It's uncontrollable. That kind of speaks to how Cersei's plots work. She does things, and they get out of her control, and they destroy things she didn't intend on them destroying, including herself. That's, that's wildfire in a nutshell right there. So a true dragon has control over her dragon flame. A wildfire does what it will. So it's maybe a bit of a loose allegory, but I like it. <laughs> now, Littlefinger and Olena. Good to see them working together again, I think. I'm not sure that they're going to work together in the books again, but maybe they will. The, the possibility is there, although Olena is nowhere near King's Landing in the books, as far as we can tell, and neither is Littlefinger. So that is a bit of a problem for them potentially working together later. But Littlefinger does give them a good reason to work together. He points out that, that their interests are aligned. And I think that case is well made for that. I'd agree that there's no no looseness with that idea. I think it all fits. Olena is smart and she's going to realize that. Now, here's where things get confusing, though. We talked, we, we touched on this at the beginning of the episode. What is going on with this person that she offered or that he offered to her? Is he talking about Lancel? That seems like the obvious answer. But it also seems to have some serious flaws. Like, why... Wouldn't Lancel have already talked to the High Sparrow? Why isn't he already? Why doesn't he already have the High Sparrow's ear? He's a he's an ex Lannister. That should give him some clout. And of course, he has things he would say. So, what are there's some other possibilities? Gendry is something that a few different Watchers and myself, I, you know, have come up with that possibility because maybe that 
reveals that Cersei is not the mother of, or rather that Cersei had, you know, the incest, this reveals the incest possibility. That certainly was a bit of a plot device in the beginning of the, of the show and in the books of having Gendry's black hair was a big clue. Edric Storm was going to be paraded around. That was Stannis's idea. That, so this, this, this idea has already been set up in the books as a possibility. I don't know where Littlefinger would have gotten hold of Gendry, but it makes, you know, I'm sure they could find a way to explain that. He's out there somewhere. It'd be nice to have him come back to the storyline somehow. Then again, Edric Storm is still just a dangling plot line in the book as well. So right. <laughs> right. Uh, what would that mean for Tommen if he's, you know, we, we certainly had Sansa talking about that as a possible hint that Tommen's legitimization will be invalid, or his legitimization, his his parentage will be discovered and outed. Yeah, it's it's really confusing to me as well, because if you think about, let's say, let's say Tommen does go down. Let's say, let's say it's Olivar is another possibility. Dude of Thorns, watching her Dude of Thorns suggests that Littlefinger could be talking about Olivar. He gave Olivar to Cersei. He could also give him to, or he gave him to Cersei. He could also give him to the Tyrells, which would kind of be like giving away his best witness or her best witness. That's Cersei's best witness. The face best witness as to what Marjorie and, and Cersei or Marjorie and Loras did. So it's like losing their star witness, especially if they just kill him. Or if they pull the whole Osney Kettleblack deal and torture him or the Blue Bard deal where they torture him into saying what they want him to say. So when he gets to the witness stand, his, sto- his story is much different. Uh... One thing I, I fear to suggest, but seems likely, is there's a lot of torture in the book arc for this. There's, there's witness torturing and, and people who have evidence getting tortured and having to tell their story certain ways. And that show hasn't done that yet. <laughs> the show doesn't like to miss the opportunity to do gross stuff like that. So someone's getting tortured. And it's probably poor Olivar, I would think. Mm, I think it's going to be Olivar, yeah. <laughs> Which is... Which is something we touched on earlier in the previous analysis of his scenes when he's sitting there smirking while he's telling his story. Like, dude, you do not want to be smirking. You are not. Remember, the seven-pointed star says that buggery is a sin and you are just as guilty. (laughs) I don't know what you're so... I don't know why you... That's a two-way I don't know why he thinks he's getting off. Getting off scot-free there. Now, another possibility here another big open wide open situation here that uh, maybe i can get your guys' thoughts on if maybe you already have some thoughts on this what about who is going to be in charge if tommen goes down or if he's powerless let's say let's say he's bastard is outed and he dies it's been foreshadowed in a lot of ways tommen's death has been foreshadowed both through maggie the frog possibly through Sansa's lines, lots of things we don't even need to go through them there's lots of things that are that foreshadow tommen's death other than the fact that who expects Tommen to finish the series on the throne? That's another thing that just makes you say, yep, poor Tommen. Poor Tommen. But who in the interim, though? Let's say Tommen is ousted fairly soon. There's no Aegon so far in the show. It doesn't mm. look like there will be an Aegon. Who's going to be king? Who's going to sit on the Iron Throne? Mm. Right? Like, do you guys have any idea who that could be? I don't I don't really have a thought. It might just be chaos. chaos? There might not be a king. Marcella? Dorn? Do- I... I- well, it can't be Marcella either. Be. If if Tommen is outed as a bastard, well, that's true. Then that... She'd be the, be in the same boat. Um, no one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mean a faceless man? No. <laughs> Arya. Arya will be queen. Daenerys. <laughs> I just I just had one idea that just came to me while you were talking about all these possibilities for the young man, Littlefinger. Sure. If um, 
Because you mentioned, or you might have mentioned the whole, oh, I'm not sure if you did, Cersei and Joff's murder of Robert's bastards. Yeah. That was performed by a young man in Littlefinger's establishment. Oh, yeah. So if, Well, wait, but wasn't that actually revealed to be Joffrey who did that? Yeah, I think in the show. It was kind of I ambiguous. Think in the show, yeah. it was more like likely to be Joffrey. Of course, in the books, we know it was Cersei, but um, yes. I think it could certainly be, you know, this guy could testify. Just a thought. That's a good thought. Yeah, I like that. Another way. To, another way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about. Let's move move forward to the Cersei. Cersei. I've combined Cersei and Marjorie. <laughs> Cersei, Marjorie, and yeah, sorcery. You need sorcery to do that kind of thing. And of course, the High Sparrow. Cersei just keep, keeps on smirking, and finally, the smirk is wiped off a bit later. The scene. So there's a, a couple of things in common with the sh- with the show and the book here, Lady Gwen. You had one thing you noticed at least. Yeah, it was. Uh... Very similar. It may have almost been an exact dialogue. You know, in the book, Cersei does go visit Marjorie in prison, and that scene is immediately prior to her getting um, imprisoned herself. And that doesn't go very well, that visit, just like on this show here. Um, and it ends with Marjorie saying, I asked, I asked for you to leave. Will you make me call my jailers and have you dragged away, you vile, scheming, evil bitch? And I'm pretty sure those are the exact words she used in the show. Yeah, very she similar. Chucked the venison at her. <laughs> well, I was kind of wishing it was a chamber pot, but I think it was the venison. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so that's quite similar, but but in the books there are obviously some similarities. I was just going to point out. Um, the, it ends up that Cersei's brought to Osney Kettleblack, who she's had sex with, and Osney says he's obviously been through hell and been tortured. That one there, she's the queen I fucked. The one sent me to kill the old High Septon. He never had no guards. I just come in when he was sleeping and pushed a pillow down across his face. So there's two major, you know, accusations coming from Osney and uh, in the books. And then what happens, Cersei freaks out and she kind of whirls around and tries to run. Um, the the sparrow tries to grab Cersei, but sh- she gets away and then gets past four scepters. I think she might rake one of their face. So she's really aggressive. In, in her head, she's thinking, I'm a lion. You'll never catch me. It's really pretty. It's pretty terrible. It's typical Cersei. Even though they're all after her, she's thinking oh, that Cersei. she's invincible. She's going to claw her way yeah. out. Yeah, and here in the show, it only takes this one super septa to stop her <laughs> instead of the law of conservation of septas. They had to combine them all oh, into four one. Four into one giant. Yeah, <laughs> and then in the books... She is really intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Cersei, Cersei in the books gets to the sept after evading all these septas. And there's, there's several more <laughs> scepters. I don't know how many they've got, but there's also some silent sisters. You know, you don't, you don't mess with them. So they accost her and she's taken to a cell and completely undressed. And she says, you cannot do this. The queen kept screaming at them. I am a Lannister and hand me. My brother will kill you. Jamie will slice you open from throat to cunt. Unhand me. I am the queen. And yeah, that, that's how Cersei, you see, she's got her trademark arrogance is intact. She forgot daddy's advice. <laughs> yes. I am the queen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Setta Yunella visits her every hour in her cell from then on 
to get a confession and you know slowly she gets worn down mm, classic sleep deprivation torture <laughs> yeah uh very effective isn't it we've all felt we've all been tortured that way in real life by ourselves in some way or another or by our own lives we've we know what sleep deprivation is like maybe not to this uh degree but it it certainly wears you down so we talked about maybe a bit of a medium term or longer term for Tommen in terms of you know how we don't expect him to remain on the throne forever but what about in the short term this this could be the way that sir kevin gets back in the game here now that Tommen has not much of a council not much of a series of advisors and from my perspective if i were Tommen, i don't think i would want necessarily olena and littlefinger as my <laughs> as my own as my main counselors with pycelle and kyber yeah. being the next tier you know that doesn't sound like the best group of people they don't i don't think they have Tommen's best interests at heart although olena might not be so bad because she still wants to maintain this tyrell lannister alliance wants to rescue marjorie olena's probably his best bet but he, he's probably going to want more than that so i think this is probably how we get sir kevin back in which probably won't be good for him because as we know from the epilogue of dance, he gets crossbowed and then little birded, little little dagger birds with little daggers, little birds with little daggers, and that's probably still going to happen, I guess. And so poor poor Sir Kevin coming back to help his nephew, and this is what's going to happen. Now I'm sorry, his great nephew, right. grand nephew, either. What do you think. call that? Yeah. <laughs> so what it's funny is though just thinking about the concept of what's Thomas when we think about Olena and how he she's reasonably aligned with Tommen's best interest and how Littlefinger probably not at all bad 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 right but what is Tommen's best interest is Cersei getting out of jail actually in Tommen's best interests <laughs> is he better off without her I don't know well, remember that Tywin wanted to send Cersei away. He he definitely yeah. thought she needed to be away from Tommen. So if you want to go That's a by good point. what Tywin thought, it was to separate them. So maybe Kevin will do the same thing, which is what Kevin brought up in the books as well. He's like, Kevin, or he's like, Tywin intended for you to go back to Casterly Rock and that you weren't going to have anything to do with this. And Cersei's all confused, like, what are you talking about? I'm his mother. You can't, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. So we could be heading to see a, a bit of a parallel there. But it, I really, I really wonder, is, is she the lesser of two evils for Tom? And I mean, she, because she's sitting there telling him how he's, she's got his best interest at heart, how she loves him, how she would burn cities to the ground. But then she goes off and doesn't actually do anything for Marjorie. You know, she's not actually trying to do anything for, for Tom and in terms of her his love so yeah uh, <laughs> can't trust cersei even when you're even when she's your mother <laughs> no that's what i think i think she loves herself foremost that's my opinion yeah and she loves how she when she feels protective over tom and she feels like it's you know moral and good but really it's just she's protecting herself <laughs> very cynical we could be about cersei we have good reasons to be okay so let us move on unless you guys have any more thoughts about king's landing or tom and situation cersei or the high sparrow any anything else to say on those topics we're done i think all right if you want to support the show in the simplest way possible go to historyofwesteros.com click the donate button and the typical amounts people tend to send us are 5 10 25 50 etc we'll be happy with anything anything you can do to support the show is appreciated not just by us but by all the other watchers because you're helping make the show better and a better product for everybody is better for everybody pretty straightforward speaking of everybody let us touch on our watching her questions you guys are really on fire lately some of these observations are really great we've missed a lot of these on our own and that's 
comes with the fact that we're trying to get all this done in a short period of time. We only have a short and limited time of hours after the episode airs on HBO for us to try to figure everything out. There's just no way to get every detail. So you guys have done a wonderful job helping us pick up the slack. So keep keep on doing that. Keep on sending us emails, westeroshistory at gmail.com. Tweet it at us, at westeroshistory. Go to our Facebook page. We're at History of Westeros on Facebook. Send us questions there, either by posting on our wall or by sending us a direct message. Either one is fine. A human by mistake suggest, wants to know, how do the faceless men reach up those high up faces on the pillars? And he answers his own question. A facelift. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'll tell you what. If The quickest way to get your show you get your comment read on our show is to make a really bad pun because i am such a sucker for bad puns <laughs> as you can tell by me putting that first out of all the comments i picked that one be first so uh, several watchers out there believe that stannis will send melisandre back to the wall because of either because of shireen however that shireen thing goes down one way or another she's going back to the wall and it will be just in time for john's stabbing that could work out. That could be that could that could be appropriate because we we always us book readers figured that Melisandre will be heavily involved in John's stabbing and that whole situation. But right now, it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to be near each other. But preseason trailers kind of indicated that there's they're going to have another scene together. So it has to happen one way or another, and this this could be it. Darren Tucker, the Knight of the uh, Darren Tucker the Red, the Knight of the Forums. He points out the parallel of from the books. This is kind of a this is a pretty sneaky parallel. Bronn wouldn't fight for Tyrion against the Mountain in exchange for all this great wealth, but he's kind of being forced into into something more dangerous by going with Jaime for a similar reward. Actually, possibly a greater reward, but. It's kind of neat. It's it's uh, Bronn was like, yeah, I'll, I'll fight for you, but I'm not going to die for you. <laughs> but Jamie kind of forced him into it, so I like that. It's a good catch. Now, uh, Max Jadruski says that along the lines of your prediction, Yoke Boy, you said that maybe she's seeing Sansa. Well, maybe she's seeing herself after all, but she's a prisoner. <laughs> that would be that would be a surprise, wouldn't it? You guys have you guys considered the possibility of, of Melisandre being captured by Ramsay? I haven't, but I like oh. the way the the watching is thinking that you know there's an alternate meaning. I think uh, you know Mel, Mel's wrong so often. We know that, so it's good to look for ways in which she could be wrong. Look for what the truth might be behind her mistaken visions because that's certainly her mistaken visions are a big part of uh, not just in general throughout the series but especially in the dance with dragons that's really brought out the detail comes out more in that um okay mark jacobson wants to suggest the possibility that ghost's sudden arrival in the sam gilly scene was a hint that john was warging this is a possibility it certainly hasn't been touched on much in the show that john is a warg but if they wanted to you know, give us a hint. You'd think they might be doing something a little more overt than that, but it could be a subtle clue. Maybe it was just a nod to us book readers, just something to get us thinking about it. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think if... I think more like a nod. I think if they wanted to show that in the book, they might have had to show a scene of, you know, John sleeping or dreaming or, you know, something to indicate to, say, just show watchers that there's something weird going on there. Because otherwise I don't think you'd get it. If you weren't a book reader, it's too subtle. Now, Victoria Jeffrey asks, now that Santa is back in Winterfell, might the show have her learn to warg? George R. R. Martin himself has pointed out the fact that she's 
lost her wolf and that that is uh, an isolation point for her that she is that separates her from her family so now that she's back in her family home her ancestral home well the strike against that theory is a pretty major strike against that theory unfortunately is that the show just doesn't seem to have a lot of interest in developing the stark kids as wargs except for bran and even that has been done not very much so I got to think it's unlikely just because they don't want to go that route and the direwolves are expensive to, to make scenes with because of the CGI and all that. It's a bit of a challenge for them. So I, I, I have to say, unfortunately, that I don't think that's very likely. Can I just say that in the books, you know, it's entirely possible that Sansa at some point, whether she be at Winterfell or not, uh, de- develops her skills she i think george confirmed she was born a warg so it's just making the connection it's entirely possible that she could for example warg a bird a falcon that'd be cool <laughs> now so that's a good this is a, this, this is a good example here folks the question didn't get answered the way perhaps victoria wanted it to but it led us down a different path and we were able to come up with some fun things to talk about so that's part of the value of posting questions even if you already think you might know the answer to it sometimes the discussion takes a turn and we uncover something else that's one of the great things about a song of ice and fire in general so many things lead to other things so many connections that we might not have made without talking them through and that's what makes this fandom so much fun is that the never-ending possibilities even when they turn into dead ends sometimes they illuminate some new path that May also be a dead end, but it will, it's fun to talk about. Ben J wonders if perhaps Littlefinger's decision to send Sansa to Ramsay will be what splits them apart. In other words, Sansa may partially blame Littlefinger for her torment by Ramsay. So you put me in this situation. That might be. I think that's possible. It also could just be something more like a, from a higher level view where she just loses a lot of trust for people's ambitions and realizes that ambitious people are just never trustworthy. And it's time for her to rely on herself more. Uh, so it could be part of her growth, more of a realization rather than a major plot point. But I like that idea. Do you guys have any thoughts on the on the possibility or how, whether or not Littlefinger will be blamed for this situation? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very straightforwardly, uh, yes. She will be mad at him. Yeah, I do think so. Um, I think she's probably going to learn some self-reliance out of this now here's an interesting thought i forget where i saw this it may have been another watching question that i somehow didn't make it into my notes but i like the idea that littlefinger did know that ramsey is who he is or at least had some idea but he pretended not to because it allows him to swoop in and be the rescuer Oh, plausible deniability. Mm -hmm. He could say, I had no idea, but I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but here I am. I've rescued you. Everything's going to be all right. You know, I'm your big rescuer guy. You know, it it ties into his psyche a bit, like having one of the, you know, like not only being worthy of Sansa and her bloodline, but of her genuinely being in debt to him or feeling affection for him because he's a savior figure. Now, I think he's fooling himself if that's what he's thinking, but I... I like the idea. I think that's a smart thought. Okay, uh, James Gamet Clark wonders, could the slaver slash auctioneer slash Mr. Echo from Lost be the equivalent of the Tattered Prince and that he and his men are the ones who free the dragons? 
I'm not so sure about that. I, I feel like we've already seen the last of him. He was he did the auction, and he's the grayscale is already on its way, and he doesn't. He seems to you know the Tyrion and Jorah are at the pit already. I don't. He I don't know that they need to bring him back for something. Although if they do, maybe it's just to show that he has grayscale or something. <laughs> But it's possible. But I, I think. Do you guys agree that we, we, are we? I think the three of us probably agree on this. That the sons of the harpy are more likely to be the ones to do that. Or yeah. did you guys have some yeah. other thoughts on that? Am I wrong? No, I think I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Now let's look at another question here. Watchner, who's gotten a couple of good questions in this season. Derek Credle, a reason not to trust Varys as a backer of Danny is his anti-magic stance. Uh, I'm not so sure I agree with that. It's a, it's possible. I like the idea, but in the books, Varys, yes, he hates sorcery. He hates blood magic. He may have hate the ritual that, that maybe brought the dragons back, but the actual dragons themselves, I'm not so sure about that. I think he might be a little more nuanced in his views because we already know that he was trying to, or at least Illyrio was trying to, and Illyrio knows Varys pretty well. They were trying to arrange Fagon... Aegon the Sixth, whichever your beliefs on his character are, to Danny, because of her dragons. That makes the, the Targaryen more legitimate. So I, I, I think that it's more likely that Varys is, at least if he hates the idea, he's willing to swallow it because of how good it is for them. Just from a pragmatic point of view, the dragons are just too useful to their cause, and he, he wouldn't want to get rid of them, I don't think. What do you guys think about that? Does that sound about right, or do you maybe think that Varus might actually have a problem with Danny. Um, I, I think I think you're right. I think that his hate for magic is really related to him being cut. So I, I don't see why he would extend that to dragons. I, I don't think he ha- hates them as such. Right on. Okay, Holly Waldron suggests, I think the prospect of your wedding has given you a glow. That is a quote from uh, Resnack Mo Resnack early on or at a certain point in dance. And she wonders if that's a pregnant glow because later on in the book, Danny has that miscarriage, which is a really good, that's a really good catch. Mm. Now, uh, it also begs the question, though, is this a child of Dario or his Dar? I was open to both possibilities, and I even discussed this on an episode of a podcast of Ice and Fire with one of their show reviews in recent weeks. And this is where Holly, uh, actually where Holly heard me talking about this. And she was surprised I even suggested his dar and points out why. And it seems that there's only a couple weeks between the marriage and this pit scene, which means that there really isn't much time for Danny to have been impregnated by his dar, let alone to be having a pregnant glow. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that, whether or not, if you had any thoughts on that timeline or the idea that, rather, the identity of this child, even though it was a miscarriage, it's not necessarily important, but whether you think it's more likely that it was Dario or his Dario or anything, anything like that. Uh, I think it's pretty definitely Dario. Um, I think the, the pregnant glow or the glow comment was before she was wedded to his star, right? Oh, it's before she was wedded. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah. the quote is in fact I think the prospect of your the wedding. Pro- is right, you so the glow. prospect. So if she had a pregnant glow, I think there's a I never saw it that. It has catch, to be Dario. But I would in that case, I would yeah. say that, and I always, I thought so anyways because you know this whole the whole Dario thing, like you know, his Dar seems a little tepid. 
<laughs> to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure he had much time for her those weeks. Is there a chance Harry the heir will mistreat Sansa? That her arc is not nearly as different as it seems from the books. Lady Gwen, you had a thought on that. Well, I did wonder the same because, you know, in the Elaine sample chapter, Harry is kind of presented as a jerk. I mean, he's not yeah. a Ramsey level jerk. Let me be perfectly right. clear. Not... Yeah, no, we don't want to get any, in, any spoilers with that chapter, but that's that's it's fair enough to say that without being that's, spoilery. Right. So let's just, but. And the reason I bring that up is because George's response to the scene in the last episode was to direct people at that chapter. So that could have been, he wants to illustrate how different the arcs are. But I did wonder if he was kind of saying, read between the lines. So read that chapter and, you know, make up your own mind. So um, that's what I would suggest as well. Okay. <laughs> We we do had we had some other questions, but we're running short on time, so we're going to move on. Some of these questions will get answered next time instead. Let's really quickly do our worries. Well, we talked about Braun already. We think he's still we still have worry for him, even though he's in the, in the clear in the short term. What are some other worries you guys have? Who are you most worried about? Well, I think we're all worried about Shireen. <laughs> yes. Um, and you know all the all the people who are currently imprisoned in King's Landing by the, the faith, yeah, Morris and Marjorie. We're worried on yeah. different levels for them. Um, are we worried for Stannis? Yes. Yeah, I, I'd say that Stannis can have a legitimate worry. I think that I think we said on the show before a lot of people take for granted that in the books he's going to take Winterfell. I think that the battle on the ice he'll have no problem. But remember his. His men are eating each other. I think there is more doubt than people think just because of the elements, for one thing. And I, I think that in the in the show, who knows? I, I wouldn't want to second-guess George and I certainly wouldn't want to second-guess D&D. Um, the snow's coming. There was snow on the tents. It, it was shown. Who knows if Stannis is, is going to either have to retreat or uh, get stuck with Ramsay having the kind of upper hand again just because his soldiers are fresh. The storm crows leaving, the numbers are getting reduced. You know, it, this could it could be a kind of downward spiral starting for Stannis. But who knows? Uh I wouldn't say I'm worried about Stannis. He he can take care of himself. But <laughs> no I, I I think the the there is a chance in show canon that he he could be headed for big trouble. One character I think we're a little less worried about in the short term is Brienne. And that partly comes from something we're going to talk about after the credits, but also just because there seems to be more emphasis on the possibility that Sansa will escape. For me, that's the main thing. And if she stays within Winterfell, I, I worry more for Brienne, interestingly enough. If she escapes, it seems like Brienne has to be part of that. Yeah, she's got a role. Then, then Brienne's arc this season has got a purpose. But if she, it doesn't make sense if Brienne is just waiting endlessly. Something has to happen with Brienne. I agree. That's It's interesting, too, that we look to that specific thing. The fact that she has a purpose on the show makes her a lot safer. And at the beginning of the season, that is what we worried about. We were wondering what her purpose is going forward now that the Riverlands arc is cut and all these other things. If she has no point, then that puts her at risk. But she seems to be, things are progressing, even though she hasn't been on screen much at all, it, it seems to be progressing towards 
her having a more of a purpose, which is interesting. So I like that. That's a good thought. Now, normally we would do our outro and credits here and we read our Patreon supporters off, but we are short on time and I know that they don't mind the occasional skip so we can get more content in. So thanks to our Patreon supporters. We'll thank all our Patreon supporters since we're not going to go through people by name. To support History of Westeros through Patreon, simply go to www.patreon.com slash History of Westeros. Check out the benefits and all the ways it works and all the different support levels. And if it's the right fit for you, we would thank and welcome your support. Now, since some of you will be tuning out to avoid the trailer discussion, this is where we thank our lovely guests uh, from Radio Westeros. Thanks, Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy. Tell us a bit about how to find you guys and what you've been up to lately. Okay. Yeah, come and check out Radio Westeros. The best way is at RadioWesteros.com. We're, we do podcasts. We'd really love it to, if some of you would come and try us out. So please consider it. RadioWestros.com. Right on. I think I'm a, one of your biggest fans, so I can always say good things about Radio Westeros and mean it. It's always better to be able to recommend things that you actually like yourself. That's what we try to do here in general. All right. So, folks, if you are, don't want to be spoiled on the trailer discussion, now is your time to drop off and we will see you next week. But if you are in for the rest, let's get into it. We have Danny facing down Jorah and Tyrion. This is kind of going along the lines of what we thought. She, we see Tyrion kind of looking back as it looks like Jorah's being led away. And she, makes this, she has this line, Why should anyone follow a queen who can't keep her promises? So, I don't know, it looks kind of bad for Jorah, doesn't it? Now, if he's locked up, uh, you wonder how that's going to play into his grayscale. If he's just kind of in a dungeon, maybe like it develops while he's down there or it spreads to his jailers or I don't know. Maybe. Could start the plague in the, yeah, in the city. Yeah, that, that could be locking him up with other people might be how it spreads. Mm-hmm. So that could be the, the purpose there. Right. But no danger. It doesn't look like anything bad's going to happen to Tyrion. I don't see any of my dragon-related theories. There's no no hint of that coming true yet, but we'll see. Sansa and Reek together. Sansa's pretty pissed, for, <laughs> understandably. She says, if I could do what Ramsay did to you, I would. Now, watching her, Billy Davis III noticed a mild parallel here. Earlier on in, in Sansa, Sansa and Reek's first interaction was Reek saying, he'll punish me because she's not holding his arm. And she says, do you think I care what he does to you? Well, now she really, really, really doesn't care what he does to, what he does to you, Reek. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, she's, she's going the sort of anger, <laughs> the path of anger, I think, based <laughs> on that. Little, so. We also have Cersei in prison looking kind of haggard like... Marjorie, but remaining defiant. She's not ready to submit yet. Uh, She eventually kind of becomes more submissive in her book arc, but they might just be, that's not a very exciting thing to show in a trailer. So I suppose we're just seeing that, looking forward to seeing how they, it's funny, I'm looking forward to seeing how Cersei gets treated in prison by these awful faith people, but (laughs) I don't mean it like that, although I sort of do. We also have John arriving at Hard Home with Sam giving a voiceover. He's saying, John's taking a risk. We don't stand a chance otherwise. And it actually looks like Ollie might be getting a little convinced. The look on his face is Ollie's facial expressions have been so like important and major. They've been like a big focal point of some of these trailers. Just quick shot Ollie and it tells you everything. Uh, so I was, I was actually a little surprised by how like he looked like he was taking Sam seriously. Of course, it could be a little editing trick, but... And on the other hand, 
the Wildlings are not thrilled about working with John. It looks like John is going to face some opposition up there. Do you guys have any thoughts on what's what's any potential for that, or is that just a wait and see situation? Yeah, I thought it looked just like a nice. scary and very difficult situation, basically. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, just tense. We'll see. Maybe John will regret not having Maybe. Ghost with him after all, huh? So now we also have some casting news from Season 6. This is what we'll close out the episode with. We've only got a few minutes to talk about it, but it's pretty exciting. Now, all this news comes from Watchers on the Wall, who are the absolute best for casting news, among other things, but particularly stuff about sets and casting news and casting calls and all that. So follow them on Twitter and on their website for more updates. Now that Season 6 casting is underway, they'll probably be having more stuff leaking out over the next several weeks and all the way up until next season. Well, what we wanted to do was consider who we're not seeing through this list, but we don't have time for that. So we'll just talk about who is on this list. First of all, the big one, they're casting a pirate in his 40s to 50s. He is, quote, an infamous pirate who has terrorized seas all around the world. He is cunning, ruthless, and has a touch of madness. He's a very dangerous-looking man. Yeah. Obviously, that's yeah. Euron Greyjoy. Hell yeah. We get Euron. Yeah, Euron. But I, I would say that p- perhaps they could combine some of Victorian into Euron. That's right. Folks watching on YouTube, notice I have my Victorian Greyjoy shirt on here. And that I'm wearing that in honor of the fact that he was not cast. But, of course, I saw that coming. I wouldn't expect him to have been cast. It seemed like Euron is a far more compelling TV character. But I hope you're right, Yoke Boy. I hope that there is some Victorian in, in Euron. Maybe he's as good well, a fighter as, as Victorian. Maybe he's a big badass on top yeah, of Yeah, and he could, even, he could even show up in Marine to deliver a fleet. Yes, that's true. Okay, Lady Gwen, take us through the next exciting casting announcement. The next one is a father aged 50s to 60s, one of the greatest soldiers in Westeros, a humorless martinet, severe and intimidating. He demands martial discipline in the field and in his home. Described as a very good part for next year and centrally involved in one of the protagonist's storyline. Nice. Okay, that's got to be Randall. Randall yeah, got to be Randall yeah. Tarley. And, he, and there was a little yeah. foreshadowing of him already this season with Stam, Stam, Stannis and Sam talking about him. <laughs> right. So that's cool. Now, Yoke Boy, there's possibly okay. some more in that, in that same... Uh... Yeah, mother in her 50s. She's sweet, plump, adoring mother and has a soft spot for one of her children who benefits from her decency. And uh, nobody seemed to know who this was, but I think it's Sam's mother. What did you, what did you think? I think you're probably right. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it, but once you mm-hmm. suggested it, I haven't been able to think yeah. of any other possibilities, to be honest. Definitely. So. Especially that last bit, because we know in the books that um, Sam is intending to uh, send Gilly and the baby to his mother. Which means that instead of Old Town, we might just get Hart's Home. I'm sorry, not Hart's Home, but uh, Horn Hill. Uh, so it might just go straight there. In the books, Gilly talks about you know how Sam talks about how his mother would be pleased to have a blood of Sam's there, and how Sam and how Randall would actually be a little pleased, uh, even though he wouldn't admit it. We also have a note of a priest who's in his mid forties or fifties, a gruff ex-soldier who found religion, now a no-nonsense rural priest who ministers to the poor of the countryside. He's a salt of the earth man who has weathered many battles. This sounds like a combination of Septon Maribald and the elder brother, mm-hmm. which means that Sandor yes. might still be alive yes. on the TV yes. show, right? That's exciting. That is very exciting. So, folks, a lot to be excited about for next season. That's really good news. We look forward to the rest of this season as well. It should be the most exciting part of the season. There's always a lot of action and big climactic moments in episodes 8, 9, and 10. 
So we hope you'll join us next week as we get through this exciting finish to the season. Sorry to be rushing out of this episode, but it's time to go. Valar Margulis, folks, we'll see you next time.